Well, good morning again. Make sure I've switched on. Here we go. Um, Again, we're so glad you're here. If you're our guest today, then we're glad you chose to be with us. And if you're a regular, we're glad you're here too. Uh, If you have kids in Kidmo, they're standing with us today because it's a conversation for them to hear as well. And uh, I'm very excited to introduce some friends, and I have no idea where this conversation is going to go, but uh, it's going to be enlightening, and I want you to know that throughout this next uh, few minutes, if you have a question, we do this occasionally, uh, if you would like to ask something, there will be a time for that, and just be thinking about that and how you would phrase that whenever you ask it. Our guests today are coming from Kingdom Partners, uh, it's Oliver Richmond and his partners that are working together. Uh, I got to know Oliver, I don't know, it's been, we first met, I think last January, I think is when we first met. We were at a uh, American Bible Society presentation, and I remember, uh, y'all come on up, y'all come on up. I, I was, we were walking to the, uh, we were walking out, we were talking, and we had some mutual friends, and it was raining, and I didn't have an umbrella. I don't know, Oliver, if you remember this, but Oliver had an umbrella, and come on up here and stand next to me, because this makes, <laughs> the story doesn't make sense unless you're standing next to me. And Oliver offers his umbrella to me. It was an awkward walk to the car, but uh, we got to talk and, and started building a friendship. Um, and so uh, I've asked uh, them to come and just to share with us, and I'm going to let them introduce themselves, and Oliver introduce them as well. But Kingdom Partners is uh, a, an organization that we've been working with. When you've heard, hear, excuse me, when you've heard me talking about uh, the conversation about ra- racial reconciliation in our city, uh, Oliver and Kingdom Partners have been a very key component in helping to organize and plan that. And what we've been doing in this year is kind of a, a phase two. They were already working in this direction before we got involved. Um, but one of their primary ministries, and I'll let you explain more of what Kingdom Partners is, but they are working with churches just to help revitalize, help them plan, and help them be more effective in, uh, in what they do in ministry. Um, and then this component of churches of different ethnicities beginning to work together has been growing in many of our hearts for some time. And so that has been another component in which they've added and have just been really crucial um, in our city. Uh, I told Oliver I would read his key verse. Every email I get from him, every correspondence has this verse attached, and this is Ephesians two fourteen and 16. It says, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Uh, so I, I am just so thankful you all are here. I'll do a quick introduction, and then I'd like for you guys just to introduce yourselves, a little bit about whatever you want to share. Uh, this is Oliver Richmond. I don't know what your title is, director or huh? president, president <laughs> boss man, right? Uh, Oliver, his wife Pam. And this is Thomas Castillo, who is, I'm not sure what your title is, but I think you're like the brains behind the operation, right? Uh, he does a lot of the consulting stuff. And uh, Jefferson Herring, uh, just uh, uh, really enjoyed getting to know Jefferson. Yeah, he's just here, right? You heard there were donuts going to be here, right? Yeah. So he's here, um, taking a break from the golf course and uh, retirement. 
but they all work together to, to create Kingdom Partners, which is uh, just an incredible gift um, and ministry to our city. So Oliver, I'll let you kind of introduce Kingdom Partners, and, and if you guys would share a little about yourselves. It's on. You're ready. Let that leave this room. Let's let's keep that <laughs> let's keep that between us. No. We appreciate it. Uh, a little bit about Kingdom Partners. Bottom line, I want to introduce everybody if I get in trouble. This is my wife Pamela. She is our spiritual director and our major fun giver. <laughs> 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 and we have Thomas Castillo. He's actually in charge of all our strategic planning. He's one of the senior advisors. And we have Jefferson Heron, who's the senior advisor. Uh, he works with the trophy on a daily basis, and he sees the ups and downs. He coaches me, corrects me, kicks me out into the house, encourages me, calls me, says it's going to be okay, tell me don't quit. So about two years ago, uh, my wife and I had a lot of heartache in ministry. Uh, I was a deacon at a church, and you know, ordained deacon, and my wife's a minister. And we just seen so much fighting in the church and the churches and ministries. We just said, Lord, we're going to give it up. Our kids are grown. We said, we're just going to enjoy life, travel, enjoy the city. We moved here about eight years ago. We said, just enjoy life. And then I said, I'll take three months off and pray and see what the Lord wants me to do. And as I was praying, taking those three months off, that's why I said she's my major fundraiser. She let me take three months off <laughs> without working, just praying and running around the house and, you know, and as we prayed, uh, the Lord put my heart to, you know, we've worked with churches a long time, worked with very close with a lot of pastors. Our community's in chaos. The world has the church and the body of Christ so divided. Can you do something? Will you really do something to help bridge those gaps, help strengthen churches to come outside the walls, to share the gospel, to love each other like Christ loved us? So we formed that ministry. And Jefferson was the first one that came along. Uh, he retired about 15, 18 years. And he said, I'll come along and help you on one condition. Why don't you don't quit? Mm -hmm. So as we went along the way, we started working with urban pastors, predominantly in the inner city of Chattanooga, to strengthen those churches because those communities are in chaos. I mean, from drugs, gangs, to education, to families. So we said, if we can strengthen them and get them outside the walls and love people and help, maybe that can turn our battlefields into playgrounds. Maybe we can change these communities. So as we started doing that, along the way, a guy came and challenged us. He said, well, can you get black, white, Latino pastors and leaders together to love each other, seek the welfare of the city and work together? And I almost framed it because we had enough problems, enough heartache to work with urban pastors of trying to get them to work together. So we took that challenge on. We had our first meeting down in Georgia, and a fight almost broke out. 
mean, these are senior pastors and elders in church, and they're white, white, black, Latino. And, and I'll tell you how the fight was broke out. One guy went off about Trump. Uh, and with me, it doesn't matter who you vote for. You got to pick a side. There's some good things about every candidate. And so the guy went off on the guy, and the guy wasn't a Trump supporter. The other guy next to me was a Trump supporter who's a good friend of mine. And so, so we laughed about it, and I said, Lord, maybe time is not right. And so as we went back home, my wife, me and Jefferson said, uh, let's send a note out to everybody. Uh, so they sent a note out, basically saying, you had a lot of pent-up frustrations. Now you have those out, let's move forward. And so we tried the next week, and the meeting went smoother, went better. We said, let's do a small group study together. About 30 pastors and leaders came together, different culture, different age groups, different denominations. And they went through a small study group on loving their neighbor that don't look like you. It's had a lot of success, a lot of love. So as we moved along, we started getting guys together. And probably over the last two years, probably had at least 150 pastors and leaders work with us, come to the table. Probably over 1,000 people that have been part of some event. So we do three main things. One thing, we work with individual churches to revitalize it, to help them plan, get outside the walls, strengthen that church. Because we're not a church. So when someone comes and says, hey, I want to come to Kingdom Partners Church, we probably join the German church if we're up here. We don't have a church. We strengthen the church. The second thing we do, we're doing pastor and lay leadership training because you guys have to do the work. The pastors equip you to touch people, share the gospel deal. And our biggest and hardest piece is the multicultural piece where we're bringing black, white, Latino, Asian together to love each other, to work together in the community. Great. So I would like, I'd love for each of you to share a little about yourselves, maybe uh, what you're doing, um, you know, what, what your history is in, maybe your career, whatever you want to share. You can share some about your families and Thomas's uh, daughter Kennedy is somewhere back here. She, she's hanging out with them. And while Oliver said they, they don't have a church, they do. Uh, which is Grace Point, is home church that is down off of Brainerd Road, um, currently meeting with Hope City Church in the same facility. Um, and so, yeah, you guys just share that. And I just want you to know, one of, the, one of the things that I love about Oliver is he just, he makes you sound so much better than you really are. <laughs> and uh, he just has a way of talking you up that just aren't really, it's probably not true, but makes you feel really good. Um, but he's such an encourager and just he, not really a glass is half full kind of guy. He's kind of a glass over pouring kind of guy. So just very positive. And God's just doing incredible things through Oliver and through his ministry. But if you guys would just each share a little bit about yourselves and give everyone an idea of you know who you are. And um, again, we're just so thankful you're here with us. Okay, okay. So, okay. so I'm Pamela Richmond. I'm the state of him. <laughs> all you women catch that on your way home. Yeah. <laughs> this is primary, right? Yeah. Um, hey. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's where we come from, right? Um, so we've been married um, eight years. We have a total of four children, um, one deceased. Um, a part of Grace Point, I'm the executive pastor, and um, kind of like all over the place, um, 
calling folks that are sick and hospital visits and um, we do an outreach at Avondale Center. If you all know about Avondale Center, they're about to do a grand opening on next Saturday. Our church feed them every Wednesday and pour in some positive biblical um, subject, whether it's about how much God loves you or it's about how much you have to love yourself, um, about how not to be a bully, um, how if you are being bullied to let someone know. And so there's a lot of things that we do with them. Um, and I work in retail, been in retail for a little over 30 years. Uh, right now I'm at Memorial Hospital in their retail area. Um, and I guess that's about it. Is that enough? Sure, that's enough. I know there's more, but yeah, absolutely, that's enough, yeah. Good, good. Uh, my name is Thomas Castillo uh, with Kingdom Partners, as uh, Mark and Oliver said. Uh, I actually grew up in uh, San Jose, California years ago, and um, I attended Stanford University, mechanical engineering degree, and uh, I was in the military for eight years. That's a military paid for my education. So uh, corporate life, mechanical engineering, uh, transfer kind of the business side, uh, corporate, uh, headquarters, all that good stuff. I started getting the opportunity to do business acquisitions um, uh, and then also strategic development and strategic planning. Uh, very similar to Pam, uh, my wife Yolanda had been telling me for almost about 10 years that you need to do, use your gifts that God had given you for the church. And I denied that for a long time. Just didn't do it. Because as you know, for those of you who work in corporate life, they can consume your time. It is not abnormal to work 70, 80 hours a week and still more. So there was very little time for spiritual development, growth, and all that stuff. So when I met Oliver, I joined Grace Point. Um, like Oliver said, you see the chaos, right? And so we started, I did a strategic plan for that church for our church, and it turned out well. It really led to a lot of good things. And then we, then I joined Kingdom Partners, and we did strategic planning for other churches. And how many churches have we done now? We've got about five done, probably about 15 on the roll. Yeah, yeah, so we've done five so far, and, and we, the, the backlog is pretty big. But the thing, the thing that, that's really convicted me, personally, is that the gifts God has given everybody in this room is not meant for you alone. It's meant to be shared. And it's really about sharing your gift for the kingdom of God. So that means serving. So if you have any kind of selfish thing about you, get over it and serve. And see, it took me a decade of, if I listen to my wife, oh, she's not here, so I'm going to give her some praise, right? <laughs> it's it's the sooner you understand that it's all about the kingdom of God, the better and more rich your life will be. Amen, yeah. And that's all we teach these churches. Stop being inward focused. You're not there to build a building. You're not there to, to have fellowship all day long. You're there to serve and love the community who don't know the goodness of Christ. Amen. And that's what it's all about. Right? And that's our calling. That's what we're called to do. And we do that, and the churches that we worked with already had tremendous results. And that's just getting started. That's making a decision, I'm going to go do something different, and all of a sudden, boom, the door is open, God blesses, and then things happen. 
And it's all because we step out in faith and actually live out the word of God. My name is uh, Jefferson Davis Herring, <coughs> and yes, I was named after Jefferson Davis. Brilliant man. Brilliant man. <laughs> His cause wasn't my cause. <laughs> he was a brilliant man. <laughs> and that's what we need to learn about people. Each person you know has a major talent. And can gift you with something that you don't have yourself. I'm a Tuskegee graduate. I worked in the chemical industry for 40 years. Sales and marketer. And uh, I have uh, gained a lot of experience by meeting many people, many industries, on many continents. I met Oliver at our church uh, on 3rd Street, Orchard Knob, and he was given a seminar. And it was about finance and how to manage your finance. Now, Oliver doesn't appreciate very well that people haven't mastered finance <laughs> if they don't have a lot of resources. But yet, in his delivery, I found a lot of love. I found that he was on a quest, and we met after that, and I decided that, ah, maybe we could do something together. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, that was the beginning of our relationship, and from that, um, we have met many churches and many people. And I want to say that some of the people that I've met in your congregation, like Ken Brown, Scott, and your illustrious <laughs> leader, <laughs> Mark Love, are truly God-sent, admirable individuals who are very good leaders to our community. And with that, I'll close out. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure if Jefferson said affable or laughable. I'm yeah, not sure, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> so here's how these next few minutes are going to go. They, we've, we've not really shared what we're going to ask them. So whatever you want to share, you can share. And, um, and, and then if that prompts... A question from you, then you can do that. Uh, one of the interesting things is this is not a conversation that's happening like this in a lot of places. So the reason we wanted to do this, you cannot overcome barriers until you build relationships. And until you're able to ask questions and to learn and grow, you'll never move anywhere. You'll never make any progress. And so that's, this is like an introductory session. And uh, so we're just, again, so thankful you all have chosen to be with us. And I know that uh, you guys are probably uncomfortable, uncertain what this is going to be like. Yeah. <laughs> um, but listen, we, this is a wonderful congregation and uh, this, we're all friends here. So, um, 
So one of the questions I thought we would just jump into, and this is not to any one person, but however, whoever would like to or however you would like to answer it. Is one or of as the, many of you that would like to answer Or it. all of you, yeah, yeah, it would be great. Um, is one that we often start the, uh, the Bible studies we've been doing, we'll often start with this question as well. And that was simply, when did you first recognize race in your life? When did you first recognize that race was a thing in life? talking about. And I was raised on a farm. <coughs> uh, can't really say that. I was on a farm from the time I was one until five. And I used to play with a young fellow who we share crop with and he lived next door, etc. And one day we were playing and he said, <clears throat> white people ride on the white train, black people ride on the black train. <clears throat> and my mama said, take off Troy, that was his name. <clears throat> Troy was telling the truth. He had no in bad intent in what he said. But to my parents, it was a negative statement, though it was an innocent statement to him. But that was my first encounter with the first time. <clears throat> yeah, I think for me, and like I told you in my intro, um, I grew up in California, Northern California. And California's broken today, right? And I don't even claim that I'm from there anymore. But it's, I grew up with Vietnamese, Samoan, black, white people, Hispanic, obviously. So the, the racial diversity was always there, right? It's just, it's, a, it's amazing what happens in California. It really was when I left the military, because military is a very diverse organization. You know, it's funny that when, you, when you're faced with a mission that could cost you your life, you really don't care about race. You really care about, can that person help me at the time I need them? So think about that when it comes to spiritual terms, right? But... When, I, when my, my wife is from Atlanta, uh, she was born in Fort Benning, Georgia, but she grew up in Atlanta. And we moved to Atlanta after I left the military. That's when I saw the racial divide in the South. It was really when I moved to the South, you see it. Black, white lines, clear as day. And we moved to a, neighbor, a neighborhood that was predominantly white, I guess you would say. Upper middle class, whatever you want to call it. And I was actually cutting my grass. And a lady came by with her husband, and she asked, can I cut her grass too? And how much would I charge? Because she thought I was part of the lawn service. And her husband was politely saying, no, I think he owned that house. But she kept going. How much you charge? Can you do it? And she had no idea. But she naturally assumed that I could not afford to live there based on my skin color. And that bothered me for a long time. You know, and honestly, but that's when you see that, that racial ugliness right up to your face. And you don't like it, honestly. Mm -hmm. Mines have probably all been work-related. Um, about 30 years ago, my youngest, I was carrying my youngest child, and 
I met a young lady that worked at an ice cream parlor because for some reason I would just eat crushed ice all day. Um, any expecting mothers know what that's like. Um, and so um, this young lady had excellent customer service. And so I was an assistant manager at a store and I told my boss how wonderful this young lady was. And she was trying to get herself through college and would he bring her on? And I would train her and teach her everything I know. And um, I, I love retail, I love dressing people. It's my thing, it's what I do. And um, he brought her on about a year later she decided that she wanted to move out of her parents' house and get her own place. And so she said, Pam, I need your help, I need your help. And I was like, okay, what are we doing? She was like, I'm gonna show you what I make and I'm gonna tell you what we're trying to do. And when she put down what she made, all of my color drained from me because I brought a young lady working part-time at an ice cream place to come and I trained her to be a supervisor and she ends up making more money than I. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's one. Um, but most of mine have been work-related, finding out that you've been on the job longer or you have more experience. Um, and sometimes they use the excuse, you don't have a college degree. But you train people to do their job, and they end up, being the person over you or they end up making more money than you. So that's basically where my experience has been. Um, not at home, my parents didn't raise us, that color, they raised us, that color didn't matter. So we have all kind of people in our family and we have all kind of friends. And so it, it didn't start at home, but it did start on the job for me. Next question? Okay, all right. Um, all right, so just to level the playing field, um, so we are all talking about what we're talking about. Okay, since you're skipping the question, you have to answer this one, Oliver. Uh, how do you define racism? You want to go back and answer another <laughs> question now? <laughs> oh, that's tough. Judge people. It can be. It can happen if you're black, white, Latino, and then you do things to help oppress people based on skin color, looks, height, weight, whatever it might be. Uh, and that's not biblical. You shouldn't do that. But I think that's why I, I would define racism as someone trying to oppress someone uh, based on. Some prejudice that they have, and we all—well, admittedly, not—we all have prejudice. I, I, I was telling Mark some different stories when we meet. That uh, every time I get frustrated with some things that might happen, I say white people, and then the Lord brings somebody white and some of my friends to say, "No, quit saying white people. Say Bob. Bob did that. Bob acted a certain way." And so when you do that, you can say that person, but don't put a blanket on everybody. And put them in categories. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of good white friends like Mark and Scott. We work together, and so I always get corrected uh, in my spirit. The Lord's correct me, said, quit saying white people. Just say 
Yeah, notice Oliver made the white guy sit over here together. That, that, that is one something I can joke about because Oliver is very good when we do our Bible studies about mixing up our tables because you can look every time, Oliver, am I right? All the white people will be sitting together, all the African-Americans, all the Latinos, the, they, we all group up with who we're comfortable with. And that's part of this conversation this morning is so we get comfortable with people that don't look like us. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's because I can't I was see her. Put him down there. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's, it's because I can't see around Sasquatch here if I don't get far enough back. <laughs> that's the reason that, I stood to That's another issue. We need to have another conversation about being unkind. Anyways, um, yeah. So yeah, and one of the things I've noticed in our groups is. There are a lot of responses from white people when we have a conversation about race. And there are some that are very helpful in the conversation and some not so much. And I don't mean the uh I don't mean that they're just outright themselves harsh stereotyping or trying to be racist in any way. But there is a sense that if we're going to talk about race, we have to get to the topic itself. And what I've noticed is a lot of people will engage that conversation just trying to prove they themselves are not racist. And what you just said is so crucial that we all have biases. Mm-hmm. And to say that I don't have a bias towards, any, towards whatever is flatly untrue. We may not recognize those biases. Or maybe we do. Another response that I get, in, you know, in some of our groups that we have is is an apology for our skin color, which is exactly the wrong direction um, of, of where we're going to go. And I think it's a good and good intention. I recognize that historically, those with white skin color have been the oppressor. But to abdicate the opportunity to form healing relationships and just simply say, I'm just, I'm just, I have no voice, I am just guilty, and I don't, I can't even say anything, and almost just an apology for your own skin color is another response that I see. Um, and then one of the more healthy responses, I, so I think the conversation I had with you, Oliver, that I thought this is going to be like a significant relationship for me with you. It was the first time we had lunch, and we, another friend was there, Adam from Tending a House of Prayer, and we were talking about these small groups, and we were talking about websites. And I just said, you know, I, if, if any of the, at the time you were primarily working with African-American churches, and I just, you know, said, if, if I can help in anyone's web needs, you know, then let me know. I would like to help. And I made this comment that you could easily have just walked away in that moment. And I said, you know, you just have to help me understand. And this is just web design in general. You, you have to help me understand the style of what you would want or what they would want because it's different. A, a friend of mine is uh, an African-American church planner, and, and I've done some work with them. And uh, their style is very different than our style. And I just made the comment, you know, it's just very flamboyant and lots of 
purples and golds, and that's just not my style. You'll have to help me with that. And you could easily in that moment have just said, this guy's clueless. <laughs> but you didn't. But you didn't. Instead, you said, and these are one of, this is what I've learned are one of the golden moments with Oliver Richmond. When you say, you know why it's, you, you know why it's that way? And I'm like, I, this means I need to perk my ears up because he's getting ready to tell me something important. Do you remember that conversation? Can you share? Yeah, I, I think one of the reasons, we did a survey with African-American pastors and the Christian community is just as divided as the country mm-hmm. where the scripture is Jesus, the Lord, is our peace. We should have peace with each other. We should love each other. We should demonstrate it. So when we did a survey of African-American pastors, and, and they, they go all the way back to the civil rights and say, hey, the white church didn't stand with us when things were wrong. They didn't stand with us. So we said, let's move forward. Uh, Scott and Mark, they went back 400 years ago. They're here now. I can't hold that against them. So one of the things we said we need to do is to build some authentic relationships. Uh, we did a project, was part of a project last year. We had 140 people show up, number of different churches, denominations, ethnic groups, no arguments. We painted Orchard Mount Middle School. We loved each other, had bread, broke bread. But that's one time a year. So we said, how do we build relationships? Everybody wants to do projects for us. We said, no, let's build relationships, authentic relationships, and let's just talk about <coughs> what we like or family. Because when it comes down to it, we love Jesus. We want our kids to do well. We want our, our uh, neighborhoods to do well. We want our families to do well. We want less drugs, less crime, better schools, better communities. We all want the same thing. Now, culturally, we might have been raised differently on the way we do things and say things, but if we never sit down and talk about those things, we bring some of those stereotypes along mm-hmm. to the total group where I don't like all that gold. I don't like the flashy. Uh, when Mark asked me to come talk, I said, Mark, can I bring my team? I don't like being by myself. Just because I'm only one person, this team and folks, there's probably another 20, 20 to 30 pastors and leaders that work with us, they're part of the group too. So sometimes we bring those stereotypes into a setting, and if we don't have conversations about it, and if the person doesn't have the temperament to understand, maybe Mark, maybe Oliver just don't know the culture. But talking will help you break down some of those barriers that keep us apart, because all the walls that we have, we built them. Jesus broke them down when he died and got off the cross, all power in his hand. He broke them. We built these walls ourselves, and so we kind of tear them back down and rebuild them up. Yeah. Do you remember do you remember how you answered that specific question? Why the African American church often will everyone while you'll dress up to the to the nines, the colors, the whole thing. Do you remember that? Would you just share that? That's, that would be that's good for us to hear. Yeah, part, part of the, for the African-American church culture, and I've been learning about it over the years, at that time, they couldn't dress up. Uh, the men were called boys. So as they went to church, they were able to dress up in suits, dress up, and it was a, a place of freedom, of encouragement. And so they dressed up, and they were known as Deacon, Mr. Jackson, Mr. Thomas. So that whole culture why you see churches dress up. Now you see it changing now that they're getting more casual, but some of the things they do 
was in a culture. I know the first time I took Thomas to African American church, and we're there, and it was an hour into service, and the preacher hadn't got up. Thomas said, Man, what's going on? And you know, these announcements they're singing. And, uh, and I said, Thomas, well, you know, back in the day, that was the way we communicated. We communicated through Sunday's announcements of what was happening. And then uh, some people didn't get to speak out in public, so they had a platform in church to speak. And the songs were a lot of encouraging songs because what they had to face when they left that church building that Sunday evening. So a lot of things culturally, why they do the things that we do the things we do. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's good to it's good to understand it's good for us to understand that generationally patterns of behaviors have been passed down. One of the, the pushbacks I often will hear is, well, I, I didn't I didn't do anything to oppress anyone. I didn't own I didn't own any slaves. I didn't I wasn't a part of that. But yet there's a pattern of behavior that has been passed down as a result of of a continuing um I don't want to say lack of equality. I don't know that that totally encompasses what I'm trying to say, but a la- total, but a lack of equality that has continued generationally even to today, even though we have laws that are passed. Yeah. I'll tell you a quick, I got a lot of stories, but my wife and I, we probably visit probably 60, 70 churches. We've been to you guys' churches. We snuck in here on Sunday and sit in the back and enjoy it. You guys are so nice and loving. Didn't know who we were to ever come back. So, we go different places up on the mountain. I just tell you, sometimes I'm nervous. Oh, Lord, please don't let him pull me over and mess with me and harass me. I'm just going to church. And so we were up uh, on Signal Mountain. Uh, Jefferson Pastor was speaking on a Wednesday. Very articulate. Um, he was speaking about working together and things. And he was from Alabama. And when he got done speaking, uh, he's working on his doctor degree, earned doctor degree, got his master's. One of the ladies got up and said, you speak so well that you're from Alabama. Mm, And and she didn't realize from a culture standpoint that was offensive because here it is, a person has an earned master degree, working on his doctor, and you stereotype and say because he's a black guy from Alabama, he should speak well. And she didn't know that. Mm -hmm. She she didn't know. I mean, because they were loving, nice, she was kind, but she really didn't know that was really putting him down. By saying that. Yeah. You know, something that, that Mark and Oliver were referring to a minute ago is, you know, I didn't do anything to your race or anything. But think back, I was thinking back to friends of my, my grandfathers that were African American guys and stuff, and we didn't really notice that. But when I hear stories about my grandfather's other friends and how they treated his black friends, mm-hmm. you know, that's my grandfather's time. Yeah. Anybody in this congregation, that's maybe your great grandfather's time. That's not that far back. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not that far back. You know, we act like this has all been erased, you know, and it hasn't. Yeah. I think one you of know, the other, sorry, one of the other offense is if you, when you say that I wasn't then or I didn't do that, is when you don't acknowledge that it really it happened. happened. I think that's the big yeah. offense for today is that when you acknowledge that those things did not happen. And they did happen. So, no, we may not have been there at that time, but we have to acknowledge the fact that it did happen. And we have to acknowledge the fact that it's wrong. So I think we cover it up because we cannot believe that things so cruel could have happened to a human being. And so 
So in order, order not to feel the hurt or to talk about the hurt, we'll just sweep it under the rug and say, it wasn't my time, I didn't do it, I wasn't there. But it's a real offense when you can't acknowledge that it did happen and that mm-hmm. it was wrong. Kind of, kind of, a, kind of a just get over it mentality. Yes, kind of, yeah. Yes. yeah, and not only that, there's still ramifications of what happened that yes. are still here okay. with us. Um, historically, if you go back to Corinthians, etc., now I'm not, a, I'm not a scholar, but I'm not a a part of a culture, the Mahilio, etc. It gets into every part of life as those who generally are a privilege. Justice means one thing to them, but to the other group it means something else. And so I'm going to just give you one little bullet point. Justice is for just us. That's the way generally the minority thinks. But the way it's carried out is that for my friends, everything. For the rest of you, and my enemies, the law. Mm -hmm. So this, in general, is kind of what we see on a day-to-day basis. It's so much in our system that only through the church and through our love for each other and practicing on a day-in, day-out basis can we become part of the uh, blood system or the arteries that can change this throughout our society. And it's not an easy job to do that. But it's a job that when we take it on, we gotta understand that we're gonna have kickback. And occasionally, the things that we are privileged to have on a day-to-day basis, we may have to give up some of those. Mm. And that's the hard thing to do. And I just wanted to kind of share that with you. Mm -hmm. And the the thing you often hear, too, right, in regards to racism, is you hear people say the statement, I don't see color. Right? You hear that quite a bit. The only problem with that is that race and ethnicity are sacred because God created it. God created us. He created me to be Hispanic. He created Pam to be black. You to be whatever race you are. See, to say that I don't see color means you're denying the sacredness of God's creativity in all of us. Mm-hmm. And see, so we have to respect and you have to treat, you got to think about that word, what does sacred mean? Right? The Ten Commandments are sacred. The laws of God are sacred. So if you think about that from an uh, ethnicity point of view, what does that mean to us if somebody's race is sacred? And if, that, if I believe that, then how should I treat that person? And oh, by the way, that fits in with love one another, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. That's good. That's good. You, that was one of the things I wanted you to address before, and that's a mistake I, that I've made in the past is saying that very this idea of color blindness. I just don't see color is not is not a fair statement, and I'm so appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. Um, and that's something I had to I had to look in the mirror and say, you know, that is just that, that is an incomplete way of seeing this issue. Um, so yes, very thank you. So. I don't know, I hesitate to even ask this next question, but I feel like we should. And you feel total freedom to say, no, I'm not answering that, or uh, answer it however you want. Do we live in a racist society? No. Okay, you got a no? Yes? Long ride home, Oliver. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you why I don't think so. And I test this from my wife and other people. Uh, I'm originally from Indiana and grew up predominantly black area, black schools. And I didn't know our neighborhood and city was that divided because when I read USA Day when I was in college, our city was one of the most segregated cities in the country where 90-some percent of blacks live on the south side of town. And so as I started talking to older people and preachers, asking why, they said, because they redlocked us. We couldn't go past this particular area. They owned the city, the house, and this thing. So I ended up going, in middle school, I ended up going to a predominantly white school, and I cried and cried and cried. I couldn't go to the school I could have walked to. But as, as I went there, there's a Catholic family that got me in the wrestling did well in wrestling, went to college in wrestling, they treated me well, spent out of the house. And so I don't think we live in a racist society, but I think what happens is the small things, we focus on the negative small thing and put that blanket on everybody. Uh, when we moved down here, I would go to meetings with just the only black there. We go downtown, different kind of meetings, and then I go to another meeting all the blacks. I say, hey, why you don't go to this meeting? Well, we don't do that here. I said, ask the blacks, why you go down here? Some good things going on. We can work together. We don't do that. So I think what had happened to the Christian body, we have bought into the minority and think it's the majority. Most of us love each other. We just don't love each other. We don't get an opportunity to come to a safe platform, which we've been created, where you can come and meet people. And so we take these things through social media, the news, and we think that we're divided more, but we're not. We're not. Uh, it's just a historical, there's some things happening that we have to come together. So I, I don't believe that because some of the doors, and one friend of mine, he's successful, a white guy ran a foundation. I was having trouble doing some things. Uh, and I said, Pete, do you mind if I use your name? And so he let me use his name to open some doors. So I sent emails out, said, Pete Cooper said, I think I should meet with you, and the doors start opening. So it wasn't a racist thing, it was they didn't know me, they knew me. So sometimes we put things in black and white. It's really more relationships and getting to know each other and build those relationships so you can speak well and say, yeah, I do know Mark. He's a great guy. I mean, that's just the way I feel. Okay. Go run into a. I'm not going to run. 
you know, I know that that's one of the ways of sticking in mine. Um, and I, I'm, I'm grateful that I was brought up the way I was and where I was sure. to understand that early. That I know I'm not colorblind. I'm color grateful. I'm glad that there is a variety. Uh, there's a lot to be learned from uh, black culture. There's a lot to be learned from Hispanic culture. There's a lot to be learned from Asian culture. Mm -hmm. You know, just as far as how to respect one another, uh, where borders are, where you don't tread. Let me ask y'all remember now, there's walls that have been built going back to the slavery times. We didn't build those walls, but it's our job to tear them down yeah. and, and not keep those walls up. There was things that happened that we weren't part of, that we didn't directly do, but do we let those walls stay up and operate the way the past operated? Do we start building relationships among each other? And say, okay, that was the past. We know what happened. Let's move forward. I, I told a guy that this, this guy, one of my good friends, white guy, uh, older guy. Now he was tough on blacks here in town. They said we see him. He would cross the street because uh, he didn't want to speak to him or work with him. And so I meet with him every time. Jeff sometimes I meet with him. He loves what we're doing. And so I told the one guy that didn't want to work with him. I said, Are you going to hold his past against him? When someone comes to Christ, they give their heart, their heart is changed. They can't be reconciled. Is that what you're telling me? Mm -hmm. And so I told the guy, I said, I'm going to work with him. I'm going to work with you. Mm -hmm. Because your heart is not right. Because here's somebody changed, and you don't want to give them opportunity. Mm -hmm. They're demonstrating they've changed. Mm -hmm. And so I think those things we have to do is when people change, give them the benefit of the doubt. I mean, don't put them back where they were before they, their heart was changed. I've got a question for you, Oliver. Uh, yeah, this is good. No, seriously, because your your view of whether we live in a racist society or not, but earlier you mentioned going on Signal Mountain and being afraid you'd be pulled over. So where does that play into this whole cultural thing? Is it just because you look out of place? Is it because you're a black man? Why why would you feel that way? says, because she has a different opinion, I think, a little bit. I, I do, and when I hear what he says, it's it's true, because everybody is not, right, I mean, racism, everybody's not out to get us. Everybody's not out to hurt us. Everybody's not out to oppress us. But it, there are there is still racism going on today. We cannot mm -hmm. deny that. Mm -hmm. We cannot deny that, and we cannot deny that it has to start with the Christian community. Yes. If we as Christians believe God and believe that he made us all as his children and then we get to heaven, there's not a white church, a Hispanic church, a mm -hmm. black church, a light mm -hmm. church, a dark mm -hmm. church. 
we're all, he, he doesn't say that anywhere in his word, that we're all coming together as one. And so we got to get ready here before we go there. And if the, the church community, if the Christian community turns a deaf eye, a blind eye to some of the things that go on today and do nothing about it, then where do you stand? Yeah. It has mm. to start with the Christian community because we're supposed to be different. The Bible says we're set apart. The Bible says we are the light in a dark place. Mm -hmm. So we want to play that we're Christians and we love Jesus and I love you, Thomas. I really love you, Thomas, because we're here at church. But when we leave church, <laughs> yeah. who are we? Mm. Who are we when we leave this atmosphere? Who are we? Sure. We have to be that same. You got to stick up for me and I got to stick up for yes. you. I can't let you come into my community and anything happen to you ever. And that ought to be the same. Yes. That's, that's what I feel about it. Yeah. Yeah. Kayla? That's a good everybody, question. Everybody being treated fair. Mm -hmm. You see things that are not right. You cannot turn. You can't turn away from it. You have to believe that everybody's treated fair. Yes. And that's that. That's what's not happening. It's not happening in the schools. It's not happening on the jobs. It's not happening that we're treated fair. Yeah. And you have to. We, have, we cannot say that we're one person and we're really somebody else. We have to treat one another fair. Because you know what. That same God that we serve inside this room is that same God watching us when we go outside that door. Mm -hmm. So eventually, it's going to come all the way back around. And if it doesn't hit you, it hits your children. It mm -hmm. hits. It's going to hit you some mm -hmm. shape, form, or fashion way. And so when you live the Christian life that, you know what, it's not my place to judge. It's not my place to do this. It's not my place to do that. It's not my place because my great-grandfather didn't like blacks, had whatever they had against them. It's not my place to treat them that way. And I'll tell you why. What happens is, as we're growing up, generation to generation is learning. You're going to schools, you're going to colleges, and you're in, you're with me more than you're with your own family. And you're finding out, hmm, that person is nothing like how I've been taught that person. Is. I didn't yeah. find none of that in that person. And so then you become curious of really what, what, I'm, what I'm like, what I'm about. And that's what I'm supposed to do with you, too. Be curious. Learn your culture. Learn what you like to eat and what you don't like to eat. Learn, you know, all, all the things about you and you learn the things about... You'll be quite surprised at the things that we learn about different races. Yeah. Some amazing things as well. Too. Yeah, mm -hmm. very good. Thank you. Uh, one of the things I think uh, that we can all do... You, you don't always have to be a model. There are things that are within your privy to do, do those things that bring about equality. Yeah. You don't have to go to your next door neighbor or your peer who didn't promote somebody. If you want to talk to them, it should be in a general conversation. But you don't have to attack them on my behalf. 
representing me, you represent me properly. Yeah. And I will represent you properly. And the fact that we're living out that equality and love will emanate and grow. That's what I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Good. Good. It's a great question. Yeah. <laughs> um, the African American community and um, the Latino communities have been um, sort of like more uh, religious centered and you know church centered because they're more family oriented and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but at least from how I've learned and what I've been taught, um, there also seems to be a lot more um, crime and issues with that sort of thing. So I was wondering like how they can be so much more family and church oriented and yet still have a lot more problems. You can see or hear about there are different aspects and there are different segments in every community. There's a story for each one of the segments and each one of the okay. And sometimes you hear the good story about the good segment, and oftentimes you hear the bad story, and it's louder and more effective than the good story. When you watch the news, which one grabs your ear, the good news or the bad news? Bad news, bad news every time. The truth is the Oh, Absolutely. And so we're really pushing, saying, 
let's go back and nurture and love and help the way people helped us growing up. And it's tough uh, getting people to go back. One guy came and said, I'm scared. I mean, he's right across from Brainerd High School. He has to do some mentoring. He said, I'm scared of young guys in gangs. So that's a big factor. So it, it looks like even though we have the faith, the underachievers have taken control of those communities. Uh, the drug people, and, and they're leaders until the faith base comes back in those communities yeah. and love people like them. Hey, where should we talk about? Yeah, which one? Deacon. You know, you, you've asked a very important question there, and that's something that's been struggling in my mind. Because if you look at, like, a map of Chattanooga, and, uh, you know, you look at, just, just to put a, where all the incidents of crime happen, right? We all know what pockets those happen. And it's, it's very striking where, where it is. But you also overlay that map with a map of where churches are. And you'll find a dense population of churches specifically in that area. So you got to ask yourself, if those churches are supposed to be representation of the kingdom of God on earth, how can this condition exist? See, so that's the problem that we are trying to solve as a kingdom partners group, is that how do we make the churches effective where people inside the church have a better education, are more developed, training leaders, right? Leaders, because everybody needs leaders, and then, marriages, how do you make stronger marriages? Because what people need to see an example of how a community can get together, a living example. Don't tell me what reconciliation looks like. Show me what it looks like. That's good. See, yeah. and that's what we need to, to see in these churches, a living example of reconciliation, what it should be. Yes. Mm, good. Back. All right. Who else? Josh, you had your hand up. Yeah. Um, Deacon and other young people at church, it really starts with a mindset of just positivity and trusting in God and going from there. I do a lot of open delivery, group reads and such, and I go all over Chattanooga. Mm. I was born and raised in Indiana, so I don't exactly know a lot of the hot pockets. So, but the thing is, though, when I start my shift, I, I, I pray for. Uh, Safety, most important. Yeah. But I trust that God's going to give me that, and I know that if I'm doing what He wants me to do, yeah. everything else falls in place. Because I've been in some predominantly black areas that I missed really cool people. I cut up with everybody I don't meet strangers. But I'll say while I'm waiting for food, like one of my big areas is like uh, KFTV Third Street. There's all these people in the lobby there, and I'm, I've talked to a ton of people in that area and all around. Not having that, not not listening to Satan, it's like you were saying, the signal mountain before. Not saying, okay, I'm going to go in this area, I'm, I'm going to get carjacked, or I'm going to get messed with or something. Yeah. That happens in any yeah. area you go to. You know, sin doesn't have, sin doesn't hold up. Yeah. Sin is sin. Yeah. You just have to rise above exactly. that. You just have to have yeah, that positive right. mindset. And God is love. Like, there's no blueprint. <laughs> All right, couple more. Nikki? So my question as a parent, how do I teach my kids to be more culturally sensitive but not stereotyping? Like, where's the fine line? 
maybe the seeing color versus stereotyping color? It's, it's very simple. Uh, they said, I don't know this, I'll see if they're grown, but you know, they're old now. But they were saying, at a certain age, your kids listen to you. Everything you say, they believe. Then at another age, they watch you and see how you do things. So you don't know you're teaching them all the time. So if you demonstrate things, they'll get it. Because that's what they're learning from. They're not learning at a certain age. I don't know what the age is. You can tell them, don't smoke. Smoke's not good for you. <laughs> <laughs> and so, they, so when you see kids with different, different habits or different personalities, they get it from their parents. Now, parents might be telling them one thing, but they're actually modeling. So what we say is demonstrate that love. Demonstrate build relationships, demonstrate being kind when you meet people in the community, at work, different places. They'll pick it up when they see you demonstrate it. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. good. Right. Uh, well, back here, I know you've had your hand up several times. Oh. Yeah. You know, um, I'm a pastor in upstate New York. I grew up in Nashville. I'm here visiting family. All right. All right. Cool. Well, I want to say uh, you're blessed. And the reason I want to say you're blessed is that there are sound bites and there are bullets out there. 
they don't always carry a true message. But you can look beyond the message, beyond the uh, loud noise, and look at reality through somebody else's analysis and see the inefficiencies, per se. Mm -hmm. And act on those inefficiencies. And I'm going to go back to something that I said we all love our family, we all love our children. <clears throat> if they get in trouble, we all want to make sure that they get the best deal. If you're in the majority, <clears throat> you will receive <clears throat> a much more consideration because you are in the majority. If you're in the minority, you're not represented quite as good, but then your image, as far as society is concerned, is not as good. <laughs> yeah. And so when we start to work on the right things, you know, people talk about education, they talk about communication, they talk about what have you. They also identify things that the government funds that's not efficient. Yeah. And they make jobs for these inefficient fundings. But they will say, I'm talking about all of our, what we call, um, uh, government representatives. Yeah. They will misrepresent the situation so they can then get revenge. And you have to look through, you have to look through what is being said, what is happening, because on the ground, you're working with people every day. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And when you don't see what they're talking about every day, I'm asking you to not go along with the crowd in terms of what the words that you pass on. Don't get caught up in the bullet points yeah. and, the, yeah. and, and, and don't make it a both way and a more way. Yeah. And that's what I got out of your conversation is that you can see beyond and it doesn't seem to make sense. And I think that there are a lot of people who start out with good intentions, with good programs, and they get hijacked along the way. Yes. They get hijacked along the way. And I think that sometimes when we're voting about our <coughs> finances and our people, we have to watch who is necessarily stigmatizing our thought process in addition to who's killing the goodness that the Lord really wants us to have. I, I, I just, yeah. but, but bless you. Yeah. And you know, sir, you, uh, I mean, I appreciate you uh, bringing up the facts and the data, right? Because that's important. And and you and I have probably been studying a lot of the same things. But here's what I found that, that I need to do, and, and I kind of advise you and the church as well, is put those facts and the data through a spiritual lens. Because remember, our fight is not against flesh and blood, right? It's against the principalities and the systems. So you think about, you know, 
back when crack was an epidemic. The government responded by the crimes bill. Punishment. Now, decades later, same scenario, but it's called opioids. Now it's about treatment and education. Because opioids tend to be a Caucasian disease, right? Where crack back then was purely minority. So same condition, but look at the responses are different. Mm -hmm. One was punishment, and the other one is treatment and education. Mm -hmm. Oh, these people are sick. Well, what about the people on crack? They were sick? They're criminals? See, so think about that. So put that, put your question through a spiritual lens mm -hmm. and say, why is that so? Mm -hmm. Because the same scenario, but it happened to two different people and two different responses, and those are unique. Yeah, very good. And the problem is the root of it all is addiction for people black, white, Latino. Mm -hmm. And yeah. we, we don't see that. That's right. Yeah. All right. But as a friend of the church, if there is something that you think is difficult to overcome, talk to Mark Love. <laughs> <laughs> and, and if he thinks that we can help, <laughs> we will assist him. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. All right. So we're going to, we're a couple of quick questions. Now, listen, a couple of things. One, we could literally do this all day. Yeah. Uh, we can't. Uh, our child care workers are going to revolt, and, and they, are, they still have to go to church. So uh, their service starts at 1245. Um, so they're going to have to bolt here in a few minutes. But we'll do a couple of, of quick questions, and then we're going to have to let them go. And I don't, I, I mean, I would love for us to be able to do this again. I feel like we have not even scratched the surface today. Yeah, we got through our introduction, we got I through think. the introductory <laughs> question. Um, Stacey? Church being half white, half black, or 
we met a gentleman from Florida that helped us when we planned the church. I forgot to tell you, my church is Grace Point. Uh, that's one of my deacon and chairman on the board at that church that we planned about three years ago. And this guy, a uh, white pastor, uh, his congregation was predominantly minority. And so we asked him, what did you do? He said, nothing. <laughs> we said, did you do different marketing? He said, no, I just preached the word. And he said, as he preached the word and did this, whatever God called him to do, people started coming. They started loving on each other. So I think sometimes we, we try to force things to happen. And I think things are happening. We, we travel around the country. We've had a chance to do that. And we talk to different ministries, different parts of the country. What's happening here is very special and unique. They don't have churches and pastors working together in other parts of the country. They have ministries that are trying but they haven't had pastors really from different groups. So what's happening here is special, and it's, it takes time, uh, and it's long-term. So I think what your pastor, the Scott Smith, what you guys are doing is a great start to help building those relationships. And hopefully one day the pastors will maybe swap pulpits or maybe they'll do a joint service together. Maybe there'll be fellowship. We've had fellowships up here at the Red Bank at Father Hal's church. You've been mm -hmm. part of it. We've done a lot of different things. So I think as you continue to do those things, you start building those relationships with, with individuals, different people. And hopefully <coughs> we can do a joint service together and on a regular basis start doing some things. Yeah. Good. Just Cut. doing to others as you have them doing to you. Yeah. yeah. Embrace new people. That's all. Last couple of questions. Renee, you had your hand up for a while. Did you, are you, did we already answer your question? Okay. All right. Last couple. Vicki?
to help those families, but you've got to come outside the walls. Uh, you got to go to a safe environment. We mentored a young man, a young man from Woodlawn in the Chuckers area, he shot a nigga. Now, I don't go there 11 o'clock at night uh, trying to minister to him. I work with them at the center, and then I'll pick them up during the daytime. Now, they, people are getting more comfortable with me coming over there, but I don't go over there odd hours of the night and times to work with them. So, we got to come outside the walls and meet the kids. And then, one thing we're working on with some of the churches is can each one of you take one kid, one family, and work with them? Mm -hmm. uh, we don't have capacity for 10 kids, 15, five. Can you just take one and love them and work with them and work with that family? And then that's how we're going to tra uh, transform our community, reach the unsaved, the lost, one person at a time. If we all do our part, we'll be fine. Yeah. Come in. in all right. Programs, let me just yeah, go ahead, Jefferson. Go ahead. Closer. Um, in, in, in our programs, as we try to walk along beside churches, <clears throat> part of Thomas's training is about focus and how many programs can you do. You can only be effective at so many because you only have so many people. However, people who want to work beyond that individually can take their pet programs and work with people that way. Mm -hmm. And as long as we don't have I don't want to use that word. <laughs> you don't owe me something if I did something for you. Don't, don't, because that'll come across real fast. As long as we can keep that out of what we're doing, and we're doing it because we think it's God's will, I think that's the thing. And let me say, let me say something. I've enjoyed the audience and the questions. Yeah, it's awesome. And 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 and, and your focus. Uh, it's just been absolutely outstanding. Yeah. Mark, can I say one thing? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and, and church, we appreciate this. It's actually an honor for us to be here. It really is, right? And, you know, the, the thing we've learned, we've had a lot of advice from people, and, and we've made, and God has done amazing things to our group in so short a time. Um, because part of this is our journey, too, right? It's a part of the next steps. But the, the, thing, the thing we got, the advice early on, is that it's our job just to be obedient to God. God is responsible for the results. Mm -hmm. Right? We go out on faith. And don't you think God wants reconciliation of his people? Mm -hmm. He wants that. He desires it. He sent his son to do that. See, so it's not a matter of, oh, you know what, I need to do this and that. It's a matter of being obedient to God's word. And God is responsible for those results. So we, we have to be responsible for our own personal transformation of thinking different, acting different, and being different, and let God do the work. See, we get this thing, it's like, I have to do this. Well, your job, be obedient. God will generate the results. God will deliver the people to you. Because here's the thing we've heard from many churches, the unchurched, people call millennials. Well, here's the thing, don't you believe God created them too? And God has created a, a space in somebody's heart or soul that only he is big enough to fill. So he will call them at the right time and just pray that you would be the conduit or the catalyst to make that happen. Mm -hmm. 
But God is going to do the work. And this reconciliation is going to happen, and we just pray it's through us. Right? And I'm talking about all of us in this room. All right. All right. We've got to end. Um, thank you all so much for being with us. We, I, we are actually going to, we're going to skip the final song. I don't like skipping any worship, but they've got to go. And I want you guys, what? Yeah. We're going to skip the last song because they need to get going. And I want you all to be able to say thank you on their way out. Um, I would love for us to do this again. I feel like we haven't scratched the surface. You all have shared so much wonderful stuff with us and just being willing to be here with us. Thank you. um, And we'll do this again. Um, We also, we were scheduled to have a a vote for our second elder position um, for Rick Adams. We're going to do that next week. Um, Actually, actually we can't because we can't do it next week. So um, let's do this real quickly. Huh? Yeah, uh, yeah, that, that, you're right. Okay, same, same as we did last week. All in favor for Rick Adams after his testimony shared last week to be our next uh, uh, an additional elder. Raise your hand. Okay, see. Okay, that looks pretty overwhelming to me. So we can't do it today. Okay, all right, we're excited about that. Um, just to tell you, the next steps will be scheduling an ordination for both of these men. And, uh, and we'll give you some more details on that coming up. So let me pray with us, and then we'll go. Um, I know some of you would love to bend their ears. They do have worship in 20 minutes, and it takes about 20 minutes to get to where they got to go. Let's pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Again, thank you all so much for being with us. Father, God, I just pray that you would put your hand over each of these incredible people, the ministry of Kingdom Partners in our city, the rejuvenation of the churches, especially those in the urban areas that just need a positive light in the darkness. And uh, Father, I just pray that you would continue to bless them in their ministry, bless their families as they go out from here. And Father, I pray that you would lead us as a community of people to be part of the solution of reconciliation. I just pray that you would enlarge our hearts, that we would love others regardless. And uh, Father, we just thank you that you have demonstrated that to us through your Son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.